Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Steffenhagen. I'm Steph Spencer. And I'm Lisa Adams. We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious, doubters, and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions. Questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt. Questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Well, hey everybody, and welcome back to Searching the Sacred. We have a special episode for you because we're gonna talk about some animals from Numbers chapter 22. If you thought what comes out of your in-laws, brother, sister's mouth was crazy. Just wait until you read this passage from Numbers chapter 22. Lisa, go ahead and get us started. Okay, we're going to start at verse 25. Uh, I am reading from the altar translation. Uh, uh, And the ass saw the Lord's messenger and was pressed against the wall and pressed Balaam's leg against the wall. And once more, he struck her. And the Lord's messenger crossed over and stood in a narrow place in which there was no way to swerve right or left. And the ass saw the Lord's messenger and crouched down under Balaam and Balaam's wrath flared and he struck the ass with a stick. And the Lord opened the ass's mouth and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you should have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the ass, because you have toyed with me, had I a sword in my hand by now, I would have killed you. And the ass said to Balaam, Am I not your ass upon whom you have ridden your <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Just try it so I'm hard. totally keeping this in. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Am I not your ass upon whom you have ridden your whole life to this day? Have I ever been wont to do this to you? And he said, no. The word of the Lord. <laughs> oh, that was priceless. <laughs> I can't wait to see where this goes. Let's do it. Um, so I think we got here today because we were thinking about what do we do with passages in scripture that are that are like this? Maybe, um, you know, we read a story about a talking animal and we're like, all right. <laughs> What do, what do we do with it? What, what, and so we're we're going to move towards it. We're going to think about what there might be in a passage like this for us. So we've, this has come up in previous um, podcast episodes, but in the Torah, the book of Numbers is not called Numbers. It is called Bay Midbar, which means in the wilderness. Um, and so whenever we're in the book of Numbers, we're thinking about the journey of the people through the wilderness. And it's really important to know whether a passage is before or after Numbers 13 when we interpret its words. Numbers 13 is the passage where the spies or scouts go into the promised land and find the giants and decide not to go. And um, at that point, uh, it becomes a journey of 40 years. Before that point, the people don't know that it's going to be a journey of 40 years. Before that point, it was a journey of a year and a half. And so knowing where we are in time affects how we hear things. And so when we're in Numbers 22, we're all the way, we're in Moab, um, we're towards Moab, which is 
at the edge of the promised land and it's the second generation. We're towards the end of the book of Numbers. And so we're in this time period where they're getting close to that crossing over point. <laughs> the 40 years of wandering is about done and they're getting close to going into the promised land. And because they're getting close to going into the promised land, the people who live in this area are getting more nervous. They're seeing that this people group is no longer just in the Sinai desert. This people group is coming towards us and they're big and they're intimidating and they seem to have um, a God on their side. And so Balak is the Moabite king and Balak hires Balaam, who's the one riding the donkey in this passage, to speak oracles against the people as a way of reducing the threat that he is feeling. And so this gets us into, go ahead. Can I, put, can I put that in my own words? Yeah. So Balak is a non-Jewish, non-Israelite leader who hires an Israelite to speak oracles, visions, prophecies in a way against Israel. Is that right? Yes. Although I actually, I don't know if Balaam is an Israelite. Oh, okay. That made me want to look back. He's just a known, he's a known prophet. Someone and who's so, tapped in, as they say. He was tapped in. Like, will will this people group be stopped if this guy Balaam comes forward and speaks against them? Um, are, are prophets hired? Is that normal? Like, I'm going to hire a prophet to do a thing? Like that, because what I'm thinking about is it feels like you're not hiring a prophet. You're trying to hire like a witchcraft. Like you're trying to hire like, Hire somebody to, to like make a curse versus profit. I mean, it's an, I'm just curious, like what the. Would it be the equivalent of hiring a PR firm today? Hmm, a little spinning. Yeah. I mean, if we go, so this, if you go back to the beginning of, Gen of Numbers 22, that's where you see Balak hiring um, Balaam. So it's just the Balak sees all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in exceeding fear because the Israelites were so many and they felt dread. And so Moab said to the elders of Midian, um, look, this assembly of people is going to take everything. Um, now Balak um, was king of Moab. He sent messengers to Balaam, calling him and saying, here, this people has come out of Egypt. Pray and, and go damn this people for me, is what my translation says. Um, perhaps I will prevail. Um, so he was, he must've been a known name of some sort that had some, some power behind his words. And so, um, Balak hires him. It's like, speak negatively against the people that might be our only hope right now of not being overtaken by them. Who is Balaam? Because then, um, Balaam in numbers 22 verse nine is talking to God. So it seems to be a prophet of the real God. God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, king of Moab. And then God said to Blom, um, don't go with them. You are not to damn this people. These people are blessed. Blom arises and tells Balak that the living presence refuses to let him go. Then Balak tries harder. And so there's this back and forth about is Blom willing to speak curses or not? And I'm not actually, I can't remember quite what happens where Blom ends up deciding to go. But it's after that back and forth that we then get to the donkey story that we started with today. Is Balaam has decided to go towards the people and to try to curse them as he has been hired to do. And so verse 22, the anger of the living 
presence flared up against him because he was going. So actually, I'd love to start with, we didn't read this verse. I'd love to start with 22 because this will get us some fire. So Numbers 22, verse 22, God's anger was kindled against Balaam. The messenger of the living presence stationed himself in the way as a Satan to Balaam. Satan means adversary. This is the first time that that word is being used in scripture and it's being used to talk about God. And what's another way of pronouncing that word? Uh, That would be Satan. (laughs) Thank you for clearing that up. (laughs) That's in here. (laughs) Well, that's a really interesting, it's a really thick, interesting idea. It begs the question that if it's being used this way, oftentimes Satan is used as this cosmic enemy, this divine, you know, good and evil, contrary to God. Whereas this this verse may be putting it into a more spiritual question about what is moving you or keeping you from living into shalom. And that is satan that is adversarial to the direction that god has for you so it maybe it's a more of an internal personal thing or societal systemic thing that keeps us from moving into what god has for us and maybe less of an external being out there that's just trying to get us to lie and cheat and steal Mm -hmm. well and it kind of then brings up that god can when does god block our way um and why and because Satan is, is, it's to be an adversary. So it's to block your way. And so when, when is a way being blocked actually coming from a good divine presence who's saying, don't go this way. I told you not to go this way. Well, in, in defense of, <laughs> of Balaam. So in verse 20, God comes to Balaam and says, okay, look, go ahead and go. These guys tell you, like, go ahead and go. Like I, you're going to have, follow my, follow my rules, but go ahead and go. And in 22, God's mad that he went (laughs) So somehow. So like, there's this little bit of this weird tension. Like, I just feel like at some point Balaam's like, what is happening? Like I, you told me to go, I'm going. Balaam can't see, can't see the angel yet doesn't see the angel the donkey does which then makes me ask questions of like do animals have a better sense <laughs> of like god's presence <laughs> than we like are there times when there's something else that can key us into we just don't somehow we always think of ourselves as the most important part of the story and this just kind of makes me think like yeah like balaam really is in over his head well and i think Gosh, maybe we can admit that God is sometimes confusing. Like, what if Balaam is just confused to like, wait, okay, God, you told me not to go. So I told them that I wouldn't go, but then you said I could go. So now I'm going, but now you're mad at me for going. Like, when does it feel that way to follow God? Sometimes we're like, I'm just not quite sure what you're asking me to do. (laughs) I'm just trying to take the next step. And do we feel like Balaam sometimes? didn't know that we were going the wrong way because we thought God told us to go that way. Yeah, I think that's a really important observation. And it's 
weird in a way for us to put that on God because oftentimes we have this picture of God being like the immovable, like can't ever, I don't want to say make a mistake because I don't think there's like a mistake here, but I think what you're bringing us to is like, maybe there's like a deeper reading of this, like less literal, right. But maybe more like, what is this telling us about what it means to be human kind of level. And like, maybe life is confusing. I mean, I mean, how many times do you do something like say for instance, hiring, right? You interview somebody, you think they're perfect for the job. And then for some reason it doesn't work out. And it's like, well, why did I spend all that time interviewing that person, following up on references, offering the job, coming up with the salary they wanted. And yet it all seemed to be perfect. And then they didn't take it seemingly inexplicably. Right. And now what am, I can't get that time back. I, I'm confused by it. Like, why did I waste my time? Why didn't it just work out differently? I mean, and that's such a minor way of, of, of understanding this. Yeah, I think this passage may be getting at that, the confusion of that sometimes. Like, why is this path the path that I'm on? It's interesting because I, I think one of the stories that comes to mind for me is for a long time, I worked with a lot of different missionaries and a lot of missionaries have this story. There's something in like that resonates a little bit of like, feeling pretty certain that you're supposed to go and you work so hard to go, but then you go and then it really feels like everything is against you when you're there. Like there's not like the thing that you thought it was going to be, isn't what it was. And it's kind of a, it's a weird wrestle of like, is it just an adversarial force? Is it like, is this God doing this thing? Did I hear wrong? Am I right? Like you start to question all the things because nothing quite feels like certain everything feels like, I don't know why this is happening. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about the nuance of what it is to go someplace. So this goes back to the verses that we didn't read of this back and forth with, with the servants of Balak. So he tells them that he's not going to go, but then they come back with more money and more nobles. And he says to them, like, I can't cross the order of the living presence, my God, to do anything. But then he says to them, but you can stay here tonight. So he opened the door a little differently with their second visit. He wasn't going with them, but it seems like maybe he's trying to figure out, is there, is there something? And then he says that I might know if the living presence will once again speak to me. Like God already told him not to go. And then they come with more money and more power. And he's like, well, let me check with God again. And then that's when God says to go. And so is God going to say, okay, if my word wasn't enough for you to not go, maybe we need to approach this a little bit differently. So go ahead and go. And now we're gonna have a different kind of conversation. Like, is there sometimes like when we test those boundaries, it reminds me a little bit about like parenting, right? Where you're like, sometimes you just say no, but then if a kid asks again, or like is pushing for something, maybe your strategy changes. So maybe the strategy of God's changing a little bit, like, okay. All right, you want to play? Let's play. <laughs> or like, yeah, you need to experience a little bit of the world to find out that it's not what you think it is. And what's interesting is when you hear this this language of the of God's anger flaring up against um, Balaam, that's how Balaam feels about the donkey. And so maybe there's something about doing it this way that helps mm-hmm. Balaam see something different through having an experience instead of just a word. Like, how do you feel when this donkey's not doing what you want it to do? That's how I feel when I'm talking to you, Balaam. <laughs> You're the donkey. Why didn't you believe me the first time? I don't get the sense that God is scared when we wander. 
you know, I, I don't think God, I think there's a, there might be like a, a heartbrokenness or like a, a like a, ah, oh, man, that's not what I thought was best for you. And I really wish it didn't take this, but I don't get the sense that God is scared by it. Like, like, oh my goodness, I better do everything I can to not let that happen. Like God's not like suddenly barring the door and like locking it miraculously. I mean, now God's going to intervene miraculously through the speaking of a donkey, which is crazy. But like Balaam has a choice and God doesn't remove choice. You know, it's like the rich young ruler when Jesus is like, hey, give up everything, sell all your possessions and follow me. And then the rich young ruler walks away and Jesus isn't like, wait, 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 I'll make an accommodation. I'll make an accommodation like 90%. Let's go with 90%. Can you do 90%? Like if we do 90%, will you follow me? Like there's, and, and yet, and, and at the end of that story, that person walks away, but we don't know if they ever come back. We don't know if they, you know, like it's just kind of left open. And I, I kind of actually find that really beautiful that, that the story isn't closed, but it's open because I think a lot of my life feels like I really hope it's open for me to have autonomy to make choices, but also to realize that my choices aren't always good and I need to come back. When is it loving for God to stand in our way and, when, and allow us that choice of traveling a path for a while first? And I think we can also enter in that this is a little bit of a weird passage. Like parts of me are like, gosh, I wish it were that obvious. I wish, <laughs> I wish I would have a donkey stop and have God's presence stand in my way. Like, I feel like it's much more ambiguous which way I'm supposed to go whenever I'm doing something or not doing something like this is a nice, I don't know. I kind of want a donkey to talk to me. Well, I think it's also like to remember like what Balaam is going to do. Why? God seems to be so invested in like engaging in this. Like this feels about like, this is about a large community of people that God is, has plans for that Balaam is somehow getting kind of swirled into. I'd like, it, like Balak is calling him in, not God necessarily. And so it feels like there's this tension in all of it. But I would hope that God would intervene in big spaces like this. But I also know there's a lot of crap in the world that God doesn't intervene in. And so like, I think it's just, that's just a tension that exists. <laughs> but I still think it's interesting to look at the story to see what the story has. And I, I do think it's, I, I actually kind of like the thing of like, God showing him like, this is, like, this is what it feels like. This is what this is kind of what happens. So like, let him experience it because then the realization is so much deeper and greater because you've discovered it. Not because it's just God speaking, but because there's a whole other thing happening. Yeah. Maybe that, gosh, this idea of like, maybe God, oh, we're hitting at so many tensions, but I'm thinking about like, okay, I sometimes want God to give me this really visible path, but there is a way that's just sort of selfish for my own life. And this is not just for one person's life. This is the story of a people group that God cares a lot about and wants to have like lead the way for But then I, then that gets me into thinking like, yeah, but then where are the donkeys for big things in our world right now, <laughs> stopping people from doing atrocities against people groups. Cause even then it's not consistent or not the way I would long for it to be. Maybe there are quote unquote donkeys out there that we're just 
we are listening to or we're not listening to you know we're choosing not to or we or or, or we we take a moment to pause and ask the question is this really the direction i should go is this really who i should listen to is this really how i want my life to go forward and there's like a voice or there's a person or there's a situation that nudges us back or or kind of moves us in a direction that we should go and it's it, the question is are we going to listen to it or not you know like that's the other part about this is that yeah maybe it is hard to ignore your donkey suddenly talking to you after you just got done hitting it three times but also if my dog started talking to me I'm pretty sure I would just chalk it up to bad coffee and then go to bed and be like, that was probably not real. I mean, it still takes listening, you know, if that, if something happens like that. Well, Lisa, why did you want to talk about the talking donkey? Or as my translation says, the she ass. <laughs> I, <laughs> I kept bitching. I didn't know every time girl. I look at it. Goodness. Okay. For all the times that I have read the story, I've never actually like thought of it as a girl donkey. Um, which then reading the story, oh, so many things came up. Is there uh, a difference between girl donkeys and boy donkeys from like any biological sense other than like one does one thing, one does the other? I mean, do you I ride it differently? You don't ride it differently, do you? As many asses that are in my life, I don't know that much about it. <laughs> we need to get someone from the zoo on, on the line. What I think is interesting like, I just think there's some things that happen in the Bible that I am like, what is that? And I don't ever want to be a person who won't go into a passage and go like, hey, what is that? Like, I want to believe that there is something in the passages that we might miss because we it's so weird. But that sometimes that's where I find some of the best little nuggets is when I study something that just doesn't make sense for me. Um. And a talking donkey does not make sense for me. Like even how this like story gets told in the Bible, like of all the things that they're doing and coming across, like this actually takes up a pretty good chunk of scripture. Mm -hmm. Like we have whole years where we have no idea what they're doing. So I'm like, that's why, that's why I was like, let's study the donkey. Well, and maybe if we dig a little deeper into here, we can say, okay, like animals often have a place in folklore and in folklore of ancient people groups. Can we allow the metaphors of folklore to be in the Bible and to say, we can decide whether we think this actually happened or not, but just the way that in folklore, whether or not it actually happened, doesn't change the fact that there's a lesson to be had in it. Um, can we read this the same way and say, okay, what lesson is to be had in this donkey and this donkey's interaction. So I wonder if we just take it piece by piece. So verse 23, the first thing that happens is the donkey um, sees the messenger and turns aside from the way and goes in a field. And Balak responds by striking the donkey to get her back on the way again. The second thing that happens is there's a messenger that stands between the vineyards and there's fences then that are blocking the way. And so she, the donkey then presses herself against a wall and squeezes Balaam's foot in the process of squeezing against the wall. So once again, he strikes her. And now there's a third block 
where the messenger um, stands in a narrow place where there's nowhere for the donkey to turn. And then the donkey just crouches down, like sits down. Like I can't even avoid anything at this point. And so now Balaam hits the donkey a third time. And it's after that, the donkey talks. So I wonder if there's anything in that progression that we see of like what those, those three pathways being blocked and three different kinds of blocking. There's a persistence there. Balaam was like really committed and wasn't willing to like figure this out or wasn't willing to listen. And now we could say like, yeah, well, would you really listen to your donkey if it suddenly started going the wrong way or rubbed your foot up against the wall or just suddenly laid down on you? Like probably not. I probably wouldn't be like, well, I assume it's seeing the angel of the Lord. So I'm going to listen to my donkey's instincts. But at some level in this story, maybe that is the metaphorical kind of indication here is that he was already doing the thing that God said not to do. And then God said to do it. And then God was frustrated by that. And now the donkey's kind of like, hey, you know, you shouldn't do this. And yet he's still going forward with it regardless. Yeah. So maybe this progression, it maybe mimics some of the back and forth between God and Balaam that like, first there's a, there's a more gentle no that just is a rerouting. And then there's a little harder no, that's like a rerouting with a little bit of an injury. And then the third is like a stop. And maybe there's, there's a progression for Balaam to see that of the, the way that he's interacted with God. Well, it gets like narrower, like for the donkey, whether I mean, Balaam probably doesn't even sense the narrowing in a way that the donkey is sensing the narrowing. Like first there was room to turn around. Now you're trying to squeeze through and then like, nope, there's just no way sitting down. I wonder if it's giving Balaam this spiritual experience of how narrow the path is going to be to do this right. Like God's going to let him go and work with Balak, but he's got to be able to bless, not curse. And so he's treading this line of like working with this foreign king who wants to curse the people, but like not being allowed to curse the people. And I wonder if God's doing something like to give him this experience of like, you can't go this way. You can't go that way. Like I am your only way through. You have to do this exactly the way I tell you to do this or it's, it's not the path. Like, I wonder if it's a bit of a narrow way. Like when Jesus talks about a narrow way, because that's where the story ends is this narrow way like the donkey sits down because god is blocking the only way and that then leads to balaam to see god and have the conversation with god about how he's going to do this well I, i think that idea reminds me of life's choices and trying to figure out like, how do I move forward with my life in engaging different aspects of culture, like politics, society, social media, different areas of life where you know engaging it puts you in a really treacherous space because you're now connected to something that might not be entirely what you want it to be. So, for instance, if you were to like want to try to help change the systems of our world, one of the best ways to do it might be to become a person that is political, right? To try to actually go in and change laws. 
But if you're going to change laws, that means you're going to have to play by some set of rules or some set of ways of doing things that you might not always love and might not always align with your values. And yet you're in the midst of it because you're trying to do this other thing or this, this beautiful thing. And so how do you navigate that with integrity, knowing that that thing is inherently a struggle? And so I think that's a tension that we actually find ourselves in, whether we want to admit it or not. And maybe here, Balaam is a great example of being in it like we are. Do we know what our guardrails are before we go into a situation? There's a lot of things that are tricky. Like we're probably not being called on by a king to go curse a people group, (laughs) but maybe our boss is asking us to do something that feels a little bit unethical. And we're treading that line between, okay, if I go against my boss, do I lose my job and I need my job for my family? But then if I, and the path feels like narrow of how do I do this right? What is, what is my, what does the world need? What does my family need? Like maybe this is sort of hitting at some of those things that happened to us where it feels like there's a narrow way through that feels right. And, and in many ways, it just feels like a lose, a lose, lose. And there's not an easy way through at all. Here's one of the things that like thinking about talking donkeys makes me think about is like mystics, right? So mystics are seen as brilliant after they die, Um, not during their lifetimes. And like somebody like Julian of Norwich has beautiful, I mean, like all shall be well, all shall be well, manner of things shall be well. That's a great Julian of Norwich quote. She wrote that during a fever dream. So our modern sensibilities would say she didn't have a vision. She had hallucinations from a fever. Where in the ancient, where in the modern mindset have we cut ourselves off from mystical spiritual experiences that just say a donkey can't talk, a fever dream can't be the voice of God? Like, are we paying attention to our dreams? Are we paying attention to the way the natural world communicates? Are we leaving room open for things we don't understand? Or do we just cut it off and say, well, it can't be true. It's illogical. God doesn't talk that way. Are there modern mystics that we could be listening to? Yeah, and I think that's an important question. And then the discernment of like, when do we listen and when is it off? You know, how do you navigate the tension of that? Because I think is a really fascinating endeavor. Right, because this is a time period where I want people to be doing scientific research. I feel very strongly about science right now. It's a hard time to believe anything that's not science. I mean, especially now, right? I mean, you're alluding to right. the pandemic and you're alluding to like vaccines and trusting science and, uh, you know, the world's experts on how we navigate a pandemic and all of that. And if somebody comes along and says, the Lord will lead us through, we just need to get back to gathering together and do away with all of our precautions, which that person, if someone says that, I'm a little like, yeah, don't know, don't think so. Like, I, I don't, that, that's not where I land. That's not what I, I mean, if someone were to say, you just need to trust in the Lord, I'd be like, yeah, I, I trust in the Lord. And, the, and I would have like that very typical, well, I also trust that the Lord gave scientists enough knowledge to help create vaccines and to keep people safe. And that the Lord recognizes that you and I 
hanging out on Zoom is an effective way of doing relationship for the time being. And it's fine for us to, to have some limitations at this moment in order to keep people safe. I mean, there, we could both make a good, the Lord says argument. And so, yeah, it's a really fat, how do you weigh what is really a mystical truth and what is, you know, the best rational way forward? I think that becomes real tension. Well, it kind of gets at to the tension of like, who do you believe God is? Is God somebody that wants you at all costs to meet together and share the gospel? Like that is number one priority against any other thing else. It's worth losing your life for. It's like, if that is who God is or is God hanging out in the margins of the vulnerable who are saying like, like protect the people who actually are really vulnerable to this pandemic. It's worth that. I don't care if you get together. Like I'm good. Like I hear you no matter where you are. And in some ways, like it, that's, there's this, that's this huge almost chasm and tension of like, it's super close and it's super far away in who God is. But what's, what you can't like the, the danger for us is when we set it down really quick on one side right yeah. like when we quickly shut it off because that's the it, it's that thing of like well donkeys don't talk i'm done i'm not listening for donkeys no more or like <laughs> the earth is not crying out for something not i'm i'm done it's not real um or like the mystics like they're they're crazy and i'm not doing it um because like, that's that's how we protect ourselves in some ways we just shut it down um, but just like stay engaged to keep, to keep exploring, to keep being open, to keep learning, to keep hearing each other and figure out if there's a way somehow that you can, I don't know, like, I, I think God's big enough for it all, but I just, Roy's feels like you're always being torn to like, everybody wants you to do what they want. Like, I think God's big enough, but like, we're always like trying to get everybody to one side or the other. And that doesn't, that's when all the that's for me, that's when it gets super painful. And I think you're really pointing to an important question, Lisa, when you say it's so easy to quickly land on one side or the other and then to shut it off, as opposed to like asking the next question. Like, and the next question may be, okay, well, who does that benefit? Who who does that benefit? So if we go the route of trusting science and we go the route of believing that there's something we can do to stem the tide of this pandemic. And now we're getting kind of like maybe a little bit too political with this podcast than we normally do, but who cares? The benefit maybe is to the pharmaceutical companies. Maybe it's to a certain political party over one versus the other. Maybe it's to keep the most vulnerable safe because they have less access to things like that. Maybe it's to keep those on the front lines of the health, you know, the healthcare workers we want to keep them as healthy as possible and, and keep the hospitals as open as possible for people that get in car accidents or have heart attacks or other forms of disease and need I, ICU beds as opposed to people with COVID. So maybe that's like who this benefits. Maybe the person that says we just need to gather and forget there's a pandemic and get together and stop wearing masks and not hinder. Like maybe they're like the question, like, well, who does that benefit? Like, um, you know, 
we have to ask that question. Like, okay, what, what's behind that? Like, who does that benefit? And is that worth listening to? And how do we navigate that? And, and then ask the question after that, is there a different way of getting about that? Like if it benefits the poor, is there a different way to benefit the poor? If there's a, if there's a way to evangelize, and this is the only way, well, is there another way to evangelize if your, if your rationale is evangelization? And so I think we have to ask the question that comes next. And I don't want us to forget that the whole point of God intervening through this donkey is to protect Israel, who is the most marginalized of communities because they're wandering in a desert wilderness for 40 years and they don't have a home and they just came out of slavery. So we're talking about the marginalized of the marginalized and God is intervening on their behalf. And so when you ask the question, well, should we listen to the donkey? Well, who's it benefit? Well, if you listen to the donkey, it benefits the marginalized, right? It, it benefits those that are in the most trouble or the most hindered. And so maybe that's where we, where we need to go here is, well, what voices do we listen to because of who it affects and who it okay. hinders or who it helps? And maybe that's a part of how we see God intervening here too, is to say, all right, Block has the self-interest of wanting to destroy this people group who, by the way, isn't going to attack them. They're just walking through their land. So there's even like when Balak is intimidated by the possibility of what those people will do, Moab, they're not headed to Moab, they're headed to Canaan. And so that's the interest Balak has at heart. Balaam is trying to figure out, can I make money from Balak while still following God? That's what Balaam's trying to figure out. Meanwhile, the people are just they're not even in this story right now. They're just in the wilderness as this other storyline is playing out amongst the powerful. And how is God going to protect these folks who don't even know this is happening behind the scenes? And the story that ends up woven together is Balaam in Numbers 24 ends up speaking this beautiful blessing over the people that maybe shows us why God still had him go is like, all right, I'll work with this. I will have you speak a blessing and remind them that they're ready to cross. Not what you thought would happen, not what Black thought would happen, but I've got their interest in mind. So I'm going to use a donkey and I'm going to take things in this direction of shalom. I'm going to take things in this direction of good. Um, and, and I'm going to use a donkey to help us get there um, because I have good in mind. Nobody else in the story has good in mind, but I, God, have good in mind and I will help us get there through a donkey, through you, whatever it may take. And I think that's a really important observation because when I've read the Old Testament and engaged with the story of Israel coming out of the wilderness, going into the promised land, and they're seemingly taking out one people group after the other, right? There's a battle here, there's a battle there, there's this war, and there's that war, and they keep winning, and they keep advancing, and they keep going. You got to go all the way back to the original call of Abraham, where it's, you are blessed to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I just had a hard time with that curse those who curse you part. Until now, with this story, where you see Balak having agency about how he responds to Israel. And his response is adversarial. His response is to actually be a blockade to them, to not move into this people group that is meant to be a blessing to other groups. And now we can get into, was Israel really a blessing to other people groups? They had their own choices to make about who they followed and how they followed God and all that stuff. That's a whole nother part of it. But yet the original idea here is that God wants other people groups 
to be the best version of themselves possible because they are in community with Israel. There's, they're meant to be connected in a healthy way. And yet here Balak is trying to block that, trying to get in the way of that. And so, um, but I mean, in all fairness, yeah, when you're thinking about people protecting what they feel like is theirs, we are often unreasonable human beings. But we perceive what is a perceived threat that is not real. I, I will share one story real quick. One of my classes, we were working on, um, it, it was a class on um, racism. And I had to identify this, some, had to do some work for myself. And one of the things that I realized was that I had this fear of black men in high school. But when I sat with it for a little bit longer, what I recognized, what was true in my life is any person who had ever physically harmed me was a white man. What was true is it was never a black man. That was never the source of fear or harm. And yet somehow that was ingrained in me. And so I had an irrational fear about it. There's a lot of work to unpack, like how that happened and why that happened. But the recognition of this, like we have unreasonable fears about people and we do really crazy stuff because we haven't sat with some things to look at, like what's actually, what actually am I afraid of? What am I protecting? And it feels like Balak is in that spot of like, well, there's just too many of them. They could take it over. So like, let's just get preemptive and take care of it. And I think there's actually ways that we do this even now in lots of ways. Well, when you were talking, when, when I looked back at verse um, three again of, gen, of Numbers 22, that, that Moab was in exceeding fear because they were so many and they dreaded them. And then it, and it goes for, in verse five, here people has come out of Egypt. It feels like they're talking about refugees. And it reminds me of this migrant caravan fear that took over the United States. There's just, there was there, when there's too many of something, the way that those irrational fears, fears spark, like here's this big people group who've left something, where are they going to go? What kind of danger will they pose? It's too many. We are afraid. And then the King is responding to his people being afraid by trying to come down hard on that group of people that's making his people afraid. Well, ultimately, what does that King want? That King wants the loyalty of his people. He wants to be seen as a strong ruler um, because they're afraid. And so how do leaders then tap into the irrational fears of their people as a way of sort of stepping up? Like maybe there is a way that a lot of this happens in the modern world for like, how do we respond when we're afraid? What do we call on? What kind of things make us afraid? Why do they make us afraid? How does God intervene towards good and help us to see more um, than what we're afraid of? And um, are we willing to see through those different eyes or even learn from surprising places? Like, did it take a donkey for Balaam to see because maybe he also was caught up in some things? <laughs> And so it took this experience to like knock him out from the narrative that the Moabites had as well of, of who these people were or why they were afraid or what was needed. And this personal experience did something for him. I think that's a really important observation. And I think it 
really begs all of us to ask that question about the choices that we're making and how we're following, how we're asking questions. Are we seeing the donkeys in our life? Are we seeing the signposts in our life that are maybe trying to steer us differently or trying to sit us down in the middle of the path that we're on to say, are you really sure you want to go that route? Are you really sure that what you're saying on Facebook is is really, you know, helping the least of these? Where are we headed here? And are we willing to actually stop and ask better questions and really listen, yeah, to what's out there? The reason this pathway was stopped was because Balaam was engaged in behavior that was going to do harm to a people group. Are we aware of how our actions affect others? And are we willing to be stopped if we're on a pathway towards harm for a people group? Or are we so caught up in our own narrative of what that is or the money we'll make or whatever that we're not seeing the pathway of harm that we're on? Feels like you're asking if we're willing to be the ass. Like, right. Like, are you willing to like, are you willing to see that messenger? Are you willing to be, to stand in that gap of, like, cause like we all have different ways that we can have influence. Like we're, we're all connected to lots of different people. And so how do we influence and care for each other? That feels like a good way to close. Are we willing to see? Are we willing to stop? Are we willing to be misunderstood as we see and as we stop? This podcast is a partnership between 40 Orchards and Processing Faith. 40 Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a 40 Orchards study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that, process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about Processing Faith and sign up for a free 45-minute session by going to ProcessingFaith.com. Thanks again for joining us on Searching the Sacred. Here's to fever dreams and asses. Let's <laughs>